First Timothy. Uh, all summer long, we've been going through this, and we've been doing it around the tables, discussing, diving in, being the family of God. Um, and I got to say, I have loved what I've been seeing all summer long. I said last week that what's been happening around these tables, this is ministry, where we come together, we drop our guards, we talk about life, we talk about faith, and we don't have to have all the right answers, we just have to be willing to share. Because our experience and our perspective could encourage somebody in their walk and in their life and just shine light on things that maybe they hadn't seen. This is where iron sharpens iron. But not only is this ministry, uh, this is what I envision when I think of church as a community. So often when we get to church, there's rows, and it feels like a classroom, it feels like a movie theater. You don't typically go to a movie theater for community, you go to a movie theater to be entertained. Where you come to something like this, where you're around a table, this is community, this is family, and this, as we saw last week, is what God had envisioned when he talked about the church, that we are a family. So as we sit around the tables, there's absolutely no pressure. You don't have to ask. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to engage. But you are more than welcome. There's no wrong questions. There's no wrong comments. You're just sharing from experience. There's no judgment. Just, we just invite you to be share, to, share, to be open, to be honest. And uh, yeah, so with that, I want to kick things off. At your table, I want you to discuss this question. If you had to sum up 1 Timothy with one word, what would that word be? We've been going through this for the last seven weeks. If you could sum up 1 Timothy with one word, what would it be? I'll give you a couple minutes to talk about that. All righty. couple tables. Share. What word did you come up with? If you were to describe 1 Timothy with one word, what would you come up with? Very silent talking happening during this discussion time, so... Training. Good word. Oh. Reflection. Okay. Reflection. Okay. Good word. Anybody else? Faith. Good word. Encouragement. Good word. One more. Dedication. That's a very good word. And that's... We will... Uh, the only reason, I'm not picking favorites. It's a good tee-off to what we're talking about this morning. Um, good words. And there's, there's lots, right? First Timothy, Paul unpacks so many different uh, angles, so many topics. He is going through so much that it's hard to sum it up with one particular word. This morning, I would suggest that if you were to sum up all of First Timothy, especially First Timothy chapter 6, the word that comes to mind is godliness. Um, and the reason I think of that is because when you look at the Greek, which I don't expect too many of you to do, I don't do it very often myself, the Greek word that is used there for godliness only shows up in the New Testament. That's it. And it only shows up 15 times. And of the 15 times, eight of them are in 1 Timothy. Paul uses this word a lot. And it, as we know, as we study through scripture, anytime something is repeated, it's because God or the author wants us to remember it. So Paul is really hammering on this idea of godliness. He really wants Timothy to grab a hold of it. And there's three, <clears throat> and as we read through 1 Timothy 6, I will kind of highlight a few points and then I will turn it over to you. 
There's three ways that godliness impacts the life of a believer, particularly Timothy as he is leading the church in Ephesus. Number one, godliness godliness is a result of good, wholesome teaching. He says this in verse 3, some people may contradict our teaching, but these wholesome teachings of these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. So good teaching results in a godly life. And what he goes on to say after this is the marks of what makes a false teacher. And what a false teacher will do is they will stir up division. They'll stir up controversy. They'll, they're arrogant. They lack understanding. He goes on to say that they will, um, they will fight over particular words. And it's, it's significant that he's telling Timothy that a false teacher will drive division because he just spent two chapters talking about how, the God, how God's church is supposed to be united. It's supposed to look like a family. And so it's not a coincidence that someone who's a false teacher will move in and try to divide because we, I think we, when we hear false teacher, we think of someone who stands up and is like, there is no God or Jesus isn't the Savior. And that's too obvious. What Paul wants us to be aware of is if a teacher comes in and he starts talking about things that drive division, that split opinions, that is controversial and gets people riled up, he's like, that's not, that's not good. Especially because, as Jesus said, a kingdom divided against itself will fall. We as a church are not to be divided, we're to be united. And so any teacher that comes along that tries to plant division is a false teacher, is a bad teacher, and Paul is saying, beware of them. <clears throat> Number two, godliness with contentment is true wealth. He says this in verse 6, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. He talks about how these false teachers will use godliness as a means of wealth. But it's not godliness, he says a show of godliness. He'll go on to say that the love of money is the root of all evil, that those who are wealthy should not re rely on their wealth, but instead they should rely on God because money is so fickle, it's so unreliable, but God is completely trustworthy. He says as contentment flows from the fact that we came into this world and all we needed was food and clothes and everything else is above and beyond. So we need to find contentment in having our needs met and everything else instead of storing up being rich in money he tells the people you need to be rich in good works you need to be generous for those who are in need godliness with contentment is what true wealth looks like and even follow along in the reading plan i found it really interesting ezra talks to the people of israel and he says avoid the wealth of what the other nations Avoid the wealth that the other kingdoms celebrate. Avoid the wealth and the prosperity that the other kingdoms enjoyed because that's not the wealth and prosperity that God has for you. The wealth and prosperity that God desires for you is a different one. It's a better one. It's a more lasting one. Well, all we have to do is trust God because he has provided everything we need to enjoy life. So godliness protects us from false teachers. Godliness with contentment is true wealth. And godliness is worth pursuing. 1 Timothy 6. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. Run from all these evil things. 
Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. <clears throat> and I appreciate what Paul is doing here. He's not just saying, run away from everything that's evil. Stay away from it. Don't have anything to do with evil things. Don't have anything to do with sin and just leaving it there. He's like, no, take your eyes off of what is wrong and put it on what is right. So as you run away from the things that are contrary to God, run to the things like righteousness and love and gentleness and faith and perseverance. Run towards these things. Oh, and by the way, run towards a godly life. Because as you run towards these other things, you'll discover what that thing is that he calls a godly life. Later on, he would talk about how he was to avoid godless conversations. And I don't think it's too big of a stretch to say there's only two options. You're either godly or godless. Those are the only, when we look at Jesus' teaching, there is no middle ground. You're one or the other. You're either godly or you're godless. And so the question we have is, what are we pursuing? Even when Paul was talking about widows earlier on, he said there's these godly widows who serve the church and serve those that love him, and there's those that just pursue their own pleasures. Godly and godless. And so the question is, which one are we pursuing? So all that build up, and the question is, what is godliness? What is this idea? It's one thing to say we need to pursue it, and it's the answer to all these other things, but what exactly is godliness. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a couple of passages where this word pops up again. I'm going to give it to you. It's on your discussion question so you can read it for yourself. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the framework and the foundation and I'm going to suggest a definition, but I want you at your table to come up with a working definition based on 1 Timothy, based on these other passages, and based on what I tell you so that it's not something that you need to memorize, it's something you want to memorize and you can put into practice all week long. So we read the ones in 1 Timothy 6. Um, Paul writing to Titus, another one of his young mentorees, another young pastor that he wants to encourage and build up and see flourish. He writes this in chapter 2, starting in verse 11. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. The Greek word for devotion is similar to the Greek word for godliness. So that's why this passage is picked. Devotion, godliness, same Greek root word. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. The second one is in 2 Peter chapter 1. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his glorious, marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort 
to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and with patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a lot there. Those are two really big passages. And Paul, in all of his great writing technique, packs a lot in there. So So take your time on that. Read through it. But there's a lot of devotion, a lot of knowledge, a lot of committed to good deeds. There's a lot of repetition where these things are connected to godliness. The Eastern Bible Dictionary defines godliness as this. Godliness, the whole of practical piety. It supposes knowledge, veneration, which is just a fancy word for reverence, affection, dependence, submission, gratitude, and obedience. I'll read that again because I didn't give it to you. I'll put it back up if you want. The whole of practical piety, it supposes knowledge, reverence, affection, dependence, submission, gratitude, and obedience. Charles Spurgeon said this in one of his sermons. He said, godliness makes a man like God. And we read all of this and you read, because we're made in God's likeness, but we don't act like God very often. We're supposed to be imitators of Jesus. We're supposed to be imitators of our Heavenly Father. We should be not like, I am no God. Like, not that. But we should take on His character. We should take on His his vision. We should take on His passions and His loves and the things that break His heart should break our heart. This is what it means to be like God. I'm not talking about you need to gather a following. we should be like his character and when we look at these definitions and we look at this scripture that paul uses and peter uses the kind of life that he's calling for is an all-in a godly life is one that is completely sold out on following jesus expanding his kingdom and seeing things done the way that when we pray the, the the lord's prayer your kingdom come your will be done on earth It's an all-in kind of life. Nothing held back. Just like we sang this morning, I lay my whole life down. It's no wonder that when we talk about godliness, it is a lifelong pursuit. Because believe it or not, when you look at it the way that Paul describes it, we're never going to get there. But with God's help, he instills godliness in us, and it is something that is constantly being worked out when paul talks about work out your salvation this is what he's talking about work out your godliness work out becoming more and more like your heavenly father and it's going to be the kind of life that's hard to hide people are going to see it because it's going to be in every aspect of who you are what you do how you talk and it's no wonder that as paul concludes this letter to his young friend He leaves on this. I've said it eight other times, Timothy. Pay attention. You need to pursue godliness. You need to pursue a godly life. 